Good morning, church family. I made my notes extra big today so I would not forget them. Uh, Just a few quick announcements today. Um, On March 2nd, during our missions conference, that's a Saturday from 5.30 to 8 p.m., we're going to have a men's and women's event here. Um, We're going to have potato bar for everybody, and then the women are going to go in the fellowship hall, and the men are going to go to the youth room. We're going to hear from some of our missionaries and guest speakers. So it's going to be a good night of fun and fellowship and food. And then um, we'll also have something for the kids. If you come that night and have kids, we'll have something for them. So there's sign up on the table right, right out in the foyer. Please sign up so we know, so we have enough food for everybody. Um, also, don't forget, if, if you want to go on a trip, the applications are also out there. You need to fill those out and drop them off in the front office. Even if you're already assigned to a trip, please get those applications in to us as soon as possible. Also, um, don't forget our craft fair is March 9th. Um, we still have space if, you have, if you're crafty and want to uh, have a booth. Uh, you can talk to me or Rachel or Jessica, and we can get you on the list. Um, And then, of course, if you're not crafty um, but have some money to spend, come out that day and support all the crafters because we've got got about 14 or 15 so far, and they're going to be good. And we've got two food trucks coming. Um, We have boiled peanuts and a wing truck that will be here that day, so that will be good. And um, last but not least, I'm not forgetting this week, uh, we have an update video from Brian and Terry Furpo. They are missionaries currently serving in Thailand. Terry Furpo. Um, we have been in Thailand since 1990, and we are. I'm here right now at Majo University in Chiang Mai, Thailand. We are the Southeast Asia Network Directors for Campus Outreach, and we are on, currently on uh, five campuses in four different cities in Thailand and in Manila, Philippines. Starting off here in Chiang Mai, uh, we just finished this last Sunday, a real encouraging baptism service where we baptized uh, seven of our new believers who've come to Christ over the past year with us here in Chiang Mai. Uh, One of the coolest things that I've experienced in the past year and a half is uh, when we left uh, for the U.S. in June of 2022, uh, there were no Christians, uh, male Christians here at Majo University. And then when we came back um, in May of 2023, there was uh, six believers uh, and they were all in a Bible study and growing. And so uh, that's a real uh, encouraging thing happening here at Majo University. Another exciting thing that's uh, happening here in Chiang Mai is we're about to launch uh, the Chiang Mai University ministry again. Uh, during COVID, we lost a team, a, camp- a whole campus team um, through staff attrition and and just the inability to continue to maintain a ministry at Chiang Mai University. And so uh, we, we now have a lead team for um, new staff arriving um, just in, on, in, uh, on February 5th. And then we also have uh, two staff here that are already laboring here in Chiang Mai. And then Terry and I will uh, be uh, assisting them and working beside them at Chiang Mai University. And then you can be praying for a guy named Tyler Mobley, who is raising support um, from Arkansas State University. He was here in Thailand with us for two years, and uh, he's hoping to get back by June of this year 
in order to be the campus director at Chiang Mai University. Last uh, Wednesday through Sunday, uh, I spent um, those five days investing in the, the uh, Northeast Thailand ministry uh, where Terry and I were at for 18 years. We were at Kongen uh, University and uh, just a lot of really encouraging things happen, happening there. They have, actually have a CCP there from New Zealand right now and they had a big uh, fun night. Um, the church is developing and the, the ministry is expanding outside of the campus now. Uh, we, we have about, uh, I guess, 35 to 40 students who are involved, who are believers, who are in discipleship relationships in Kongen currently. And then we also have a church team that is working with youth, that's working with elderly, um, and it's really encouraging uh, and a dream become reality that the, the ministry in Kankan has grown outside of the campus and is now a full-blown established church. And so we're really encouraged by that. And uh, last Friday, I drove up to Udon Thani, which is about an hour away, uh, hour north, where we have a new team uh, planted there. And uh, Woot and U are the two male uh, Thai staff. And then we have Pa and and Phong, who are the, the female staff on Rajapat Udon University. And the exciting thing there is that they um, have just started working with a new church plant team, uh, a guy who the Lord has raised up um, named Dave and his wife, Oi, who are the head of the church plant team there. And there's already 30 to 35 people, including our students at, at Rajapat Udon who are attending church there. And the pastor just told me on Friday, he's like, it's unbelievable. I feel like we're three years ahead of where we thought we'd be when we moved to Udon just uh, six months ago. So, so encouraging there. Finally, just a quick update on the University of Philippines Diliman campus in Manila. Uh, they just had their New Year's retreat and it was really encouraging. Uh, one of the most encouraging things about it was that they were able to minister to not only the uh, students involved with campus outreach at the University of Philippines uh, campus, but that they were actually uh, able to minister to college aid students from the church they're partnering with. And the pastor and the assistant pastor uh, were so encouraged that not only would campus outreach try to uh, reach the new students at the University of uh, Philippines, but that they would also be willing to reach out and help disciple and help um, equip the Christians who were um, at their church and who were college age, but they weren't going to that particular campus. So uh, just want to give you all that and, and tell you thank you so much for being a part of, of campus outreach and Terry and our family and our lives um, over the past 34 years. Good morning, church. Well, the Furpos have been in Thailand for many, many years, faithfully proclaiming the gospel, right? And that's what we want to do today is to proclaim the gospel. So let's just stand, if we could. <clears throat> and I want to give everybody just a minute to just kind of clear your heads a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when I start playing, y'all can sing. But let's just take a second and focus our thoughts and our minds on the Lord prayer this morning is that we come in with grateful hearts, right? Because of what the Lord's done for us. Y'all take just a second. Just talk to the Lord. Ask him to clear your thoughts of all the clutter of the week so that when we sing these words, we focus on them 
And we give him all the praise and the glory. And also we, we sing them to each other, right, to encourage each other. So y'all take a minute. skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. I take him at his word and I just see me this I and in my heart I find the need of Him to be my Savior, that He would leave His place on high and come for sinful men to die. Sunlight and come for sin. 
black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is here. Living in love, dying is saved. Buried, he carried sins far away. Rising, he justified. Live forever. 
is far away Rising each justified Freely forever One day he's coming A glorious Came the 
guys can have a seat. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word, buddy. So we do, we take things for granted, don't we, in, in life, and we think that everything's going to be the same, and it never is. And uh, we're still shocked when things are different. But uh, uh, I, I am thankful uh, for that. Let's pray. Just get started. Lord, thanks again for the time we can have together to look at your word and uh, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It's our guide. It's our map uh, for, the, for life. We base everything on it, not on what culture says, not on what everybody else says or what they think is right or what's wrong. We base it on the word of God. And thank you that we have that base that we can uh, rely on and cling to day after day in our uh, daily lives. And, uh, Lord, let the words of our mouth and in the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as you, you can tell, I'm not Thad. Uh, I'm, I'm better looking than he is. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Thad, we, we're praying for you and thinking about you. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. I'm Dean Self, for those who doesn't know, and I'm a member of the church here. And um, I, I am a little nervous this morning because this is the first time I preached in English in uh, uh, well over a year, I guess. Uh, I, I, I'm a missionary, and I usually preach in, in Spanish. And so uh, uh, it's freaky to be speaking in English. Uh, so, but, uh, but 
thank y'all for your prayers for me also. But uh, I, I am, uh, my spiritual gift is teaching. Uh, uh, Pastor Thad's uh, spiritual gift is pastor teacher. And so he, uh, he can be a pastor, a good pastor to you. I wouldn't be worth a nickel uh, as a pastor uh, for anything, but I do love to, to uh, study and I love to uh, teach uh, the Word of God. So I'm always, and Linda cannot, can tell you, I'm always, you know, studying, but I, I do this. I'm, I'm not a jet ski uh, studier. Uh, a lot of people read their Bible and, and they study the Word like a jet ski goes over the water. It goes real fast and it just skims over the top of the water. I'm a scuba diver. And, and so when I hit on something, I go down. And uh, so, so uh, I, it's, it's just a different way of studying the Word of God. So a lot of times I'll just take one or two verses uh, a, a, a day and I'll just scuba dive on those things like that. So that's that's kind of the way that I do things. And then I get on these, I get on these trails of things that I really enjoy, or, or I see something a little deeper, and and so I go down and try to investigate in those things. So this is one that uh, I had. I uh, uh, as as a missionary, uh, and for many years, uh, I learned a secret, and that is you always have to have three or four sermons in your Bible. You got them tucked away just in case somebody asks you to do that because in the Latin American world, well, anytime you go somewhere to some church, well, they'll want the missionary to preach. And so you always have to have something tucked away, you know, so you have a message uh, for that. Well, uh, I have, I have about seven or eight messages, uh, but, but this was a new one that I was doing, and it was on Elijah. And uh, I, got the, uh, I got the first message for that from a guy named David Guzzig, and he is a, a great a commentary writer and great pastor and all that, but he's also a great hiker. And so he was... Uh, he and I are probably in the minority of, uh, of thinking about where the children of Israel, when they escaped from Egypt, where they went and where Moses got the Ten Commandments from. And I'm going to show you a, 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 a map here in a minute, but uh, we are probably in the minority because the, the vast majority of people thinks that it's somewhere else where the mountain was that Moses got the the Ten Commandments from but we'll go into that but Elijah's life is so interesting because he had so many miracles he's two of the uh, Old Testament prophets that never wrote so everything that's written about Elijah and Elisha are, are written by somebody else where most of the Old Testament prophets they wrote their own uh, things like uh, Jonah you know uh, Haggai, people like that, they wrote theirs, but they were, but Elijah and Elisha was written about, and they never actually wrote uh, any of their uh, exploits, I guess you would say that. So I have a question. I start out with a, a little, a small question, and see if you can answer this. 
who, what do these people have in common? Abraham Lincoln, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Buzz Aldrin, the famous astronaut, Meriwether Clark of Lewis and Clark Expedition, Michelangelo, Vincent Van Gogh, Neil Diamond, and Elijah. The answer to that question was all of those suffered from chronic depression in their lives. Neil Diamond once wrote a song that became a million seller, and uh, it was called, I Am, I Said, to No One Else, and no one knew at all, not even the chair. And he wrote that song when he was in an incredible, chronic, depressive uh, mood in a mental hospital. And he was trying to decide whether he actually existed or not. He said, I am, I said, to no one else. And no one knew at all, not even my chair, because he was there in that room by himself with only a chair. And that's how deep depression can come in and take over someone's life. Uh, the, the definition for that is, uh, for chronic depression, is a continuous long-term form of depression. You may feel sad and empty, lose interest in daily activities, and have trouble getting things done. You may also have low self-esteem and feel like a failure and feel hopeless and you know I hope I'm not but I've got a feeling with the culture of today I've got a feeling that this church not only every other church but I've got a feeling this church has a lot of people that feel like that that low self-esteem that you're not anybody you're, you know, because the culture doesn't accept you it, it, and it just becomes this big dark cave in your life and you don't even feel like doing anything. You, you become helpless. You feel like that there's no hope for you, that there's nothing going on, that, that nothing is going, you lose interest in even daily affairs of your own life and yet sometimes you just stay in bed. And sometimes you just sit in a chair because you just don't have the energy or the emotional energy to, to try to do something. And a lot of times you, we think that we're all by ourselves, that there's nobody else uh, with that. There's a verse that we're doing in our cell group, and it really brings me to tears almost every time that I uh, see it and uh, I, I read it. And, and it's uh, the prophecy of Christ and when Christ was betrayed and placed on the cross. And it said, and he looked for someone to have pity on him. And there was none. And I've always prayed after I read that. I said, God, I want to be one person that would have pity on you as you hung on the cross. But the verse itself is just devastating to all of us. 
Christ looked for someone to have pity on him, and there was none. So it can be go to the point where it can be devastating in your own life. Uh, here are some statistics here. 300 million people worldwide are in chronic depression. Since COVID, 3.1 million teenagers from age 13 to, to 19 uh, have, have, uh, have, have now have chronic depression. 3.1 million. And you school teachers that are teaching in high school, I think you could back me up when you see that because those kids are, are hope their culture is just devastating those people and the other thing that has happened is the multimedia the the social media things where you may have 700 friends in your in your uh, you know cell thing whatever it is uh, but you have you have absolutely no personal friends and and you know 700 friends on this thing right here doesn't mean a hill of beans to anybody. Uh, there's, I, I've got a saying that I have in, in, uh, in our office, and it says, when you're 20 years old, you think that everybody is worried about what you look like and what kind of clothes you wear and all that. When you get to be 40, you get just get to the point where you can't can't even worry about it anymore and when you get to the point of 70 you realize that nobody cared about what you wore in the first place so uh, this so there's one and then 17.7 million people in the United States has a form of chronic depression and me, myself, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and we have the distinction of having seven suicides a day among Vietnam veterans. It's incredible what depression can do to you and how it can destroy everything that you have. Uh, the thing is, is, it, is uh, depression is very treatable. And with counseling and with medicine, you can go, get over that hump uh, from that. But it takes time and it takes counseling and it takes medicine to be able to do that. It's very treatable. Depression is probably the most common human problem that we face as human beings on this earth. We may all experience it at some time in our lives however the bible does not leave us without hope and that what that's what leads me to elijah because in first kings 19 if you want to turn to your in your bibles to that first kings 19 we'll start at uh, verse 1 and uh, thank god for that big lettering up there so i can just look and read it from there this is going to take a, a few minutes because we're going to go to 1 to 18. Because you need to know the background of this whole thing. And then we'll get on with it. So 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. And this is from the King James Bible. It says, 
And Ahab told Jezebel, okay, let me set up the, the thing. What has just happened is Elijah has just fought with the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and has defeated them and fire came down out of heaven and burned the altar up and all that kind of stuff. And also uh, Elijah sl- uh, slew or, or, or killed all of the prophets of Baal. So uh, Jezebel and Ahab had lost all of their prophets, all of their temple prophets, because they were Baal prophets. And uh, so it had been a great victory. And uh, so, so it goes on, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I may, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he rose, uh, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba. Uh, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Remember that word, Beersheba. Uh, it's a little. It's farther away. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness from Beersheba, one day's journey south into the what we call the wilderness of sin. If you see it on the the thing, it's nothing but a desert. It has nothing. It's just rock. And came and sat down under a juniper tree or a a broom tree is what some people say, a broom tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the broom tree or the juniper tree, then an angel touched him. And said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, and behold, there was a cake baked, uh, baked on the coal and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb. And this is important, Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave. And that cave is located in Mount Horeb and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? Or what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And listen to this. And I, even I alone... Am left. I'm the only one. And they seek my life to take it away. 
And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now, you'll be familiar with this little passage right here. And it says, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and, break, and broke the pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood into the in entering in of the cave and behold there came a voice unto him and said what are you doing here what dost thou hear Elijah what are you doing here and he says I have been repeating this now this is a re repetition he says I have been very ze zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars and slain the prophets with the sword and I even I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Aziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nisha, uh, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Saphat and Abimelech, <laughs> shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room or in thy place. And it shall come to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Aziel shall Jehu slay, and he that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Now, here's the map, and I hope you can see it. And the drawing is mine, so you can uh, see. Uh, here's, here's why, here's what happened. Elijah asked God to kill him. He was depressed. He was terribly depressed. He had run, first of all, from Mount Carmel up at the top. You can see Mount Carmel. He ran down to Jezreel, which is 20 miles. And he ran the whole way is what the Hebrew word means for run. Uh, he ran the whole way to Jezreel. Then at Jezreel, he heard that uh, Jezebel was going to kill him. And so he ran to Beersheba. Look where Beersheba is. It's not, it's not 20 miles. It's going on 50 to 70 miles down there. And he ran down to there. Can you imagine being so depressed or mentally out of warp that you run? You're running away from your problems. That's exactly what Elijah was doing.
Now listen, this is the same man that called fire out of heaven that devoured the whole altar uh, that, that they had the sacrifice on. He had power to call down fire from heaven and to kill Jezebel and Ahab. But he was afraid of Jezebel. And he ran away and he did, didn't just run down the street or around the corner. He ran miles and miles and miles and miles away from Jezebel to get away from his problem. As you can see, his emotions were in turmoil. Just as sometimes we have our emotions get all mixed up. And so not only does he go to Beersheba, he goes to Beersheba and then it says, and then he goes one day's journey farther south. And that's down here where I have that little thing and I have, I've got broom tree right there. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. Wow. Cool. <laughs> right there is where he was under the juniper tree or the, the broom tree and all of a sudden, and he's so tired and wore out, he falls asleep, and he gets, uh, uh, he's woken by uh, an angel. And the angel gives him a cake to eat and water to eat. And he eats that, and then he goes back to sleep, and then the angel wakes him up again and gives him a cake and water again to eat. And he said, and the angel told Elijah, he says, this, this uh, food here will do you for 40 days. And the reason why he needed something for 40 days is he went from where the broom tree was all the way down to Mount Horeb, where it is. Can you do that, Mark? I, I don't know. Oh, sweet, man. <laughs> modern, modern technology, it's amazing. Wow. Okay. Now, I wanted to stop just a second and explain something because the vast majority of theologians believe that the uh, uh, mountain that Moses, when they escaped from Egypt and went into the wilderness and went down, they went into, do you see the Sinai, Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb is what they've got written down there? Well, that's called... Mount Sinai, and that's the Sinai Peninsula right there. And the vast old theologians thought that they went down there from escaping through Egypt and going down, and they went through the Red Sea here over on the left-hand side and went across. And you remember at that time, Pharaoh got his army together with all of his chariots and uh, and and went after them, and God closed the waters up and killed the army of Egypt. Well, that's, they said that they went down to the left and went across the Red Sea and then went to Mount Sinai. I have always had a suspicion that that wasn't right. And I don't know why, because, uh, you know, it looks, looks right and all that kind of stuff, but I've always had a suspicion. And, and so... In the, in the 1980s, some scuba divers were, scu were scuba diving in uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, 
which is on the other side uh, there, uh, close, yes, right there where that is, and where you see the bee in Horeb uh, right there, right in that area right there was where they were scuba diving. And they ran into something they'd never seen before and which was not uh, common in, in that water. And that was, there was coral reefs that had been formed or coral had been formed. And so they started looking at it a little more and they, chip, they started chipping off. And believe it or not, they found hundreds and hundreds of uh, chariots on the bottom of the ocean. And so they go, wow. I mean, like, where, because coral is not native to that. Coral doesn't work in the Gulf of Aqaba. It has to be hooked on to something, some foreign object. So like metal or wood or something like that, it will hook on to, but it, there's nothing else there that it will hook on to. So all of this coral had to be hooked on to these chariots and there were hundreds of them they're just piles of them if you if you look on youtube you'll you'll see what i'm talking about uh so uh because of that that's what's always bothered me because there is another mountain over here and it's called mount horeb also this one is really not called mount horeb it's called the mountain of moses because uh, in in uh, in Arabic and in in Hebrew, but it's the Mount Sinai is the the mountain of uh, Moses. This other one is called Horeb, and uh, it the the difference. There's one little difference which makes to me all the difference in the world. One is that the one over here that I've got that's over here, the red one, right here has a cave on it. The one that's Mount Sinai doesn't have a cave. And Elijah went from the broom tree, went down to Mount Horeb, and the Bible, if you remember me reading that, it says the mountain of God. He went to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And on that, Elijah went into a cave. And there is a cave there. In Mount Sinai, there are no caves. And so that had always bothered me and uh, thinking that because of that nice little uh, teaching that we've always heard, you know. There was a great wind, but God wasn't in the wind. It's a great earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. This is in that still, small voice. And you know what Elijah needed at that time, suffering from depression, he needed a still, small voice to minister to him. He didn't need fire. He didn't need earthquakes. He didn't need all the other glamorous things and th like that. He needed a still, small voice. He needed the voice of God to minister to him. And that's what he got. The thing that's really interesting with this Horeb, I could go on for hours about it, but at the very top of Mount Horeb, where the cave is, right above where the cave level is, 
all of the top of the mountain is burned. It's black. And so a lot of people think that came from the fire when it says, and, the, and there was a fire. There was a great fire. But God wasn't in the fire. He was in the still, small voice. In that little cave up there on Mount Horeb, God spoke to Elijah. When we're in depression, we need to be ministered to. And we need a lot of different types. Let me tell you the reason why Elijah was depressed. One was uh, the destruction of Baal and his prophets did not cause a, na a national revival. Looks like that all of Israel would have turned back to God because the Baal people didn't work. It didn't work. But it didn't. Nobody changed. Elijah was the only one, and he's sitting there by himself, and you see twice in this scripture here when he says, and I, I alone am left. He was by himself, or he felt like he was by himself. And then the other one was the people rejected God despite the evidence, not because of the evidence. And today, I think we can see a lot of that. There's a lot of evidence out there, but they reject God despite the evidence instead of because of the evidence. So we can actually see the reason why there's so much depression here in the United States. is because we're slowly rejecting God as we go. So... Uh, the the actual mileage of that of that map you don't have to put it back up but uh, you can see over here it was 200 miles down to Mount Horeb that's a long way for somebody to run because they're depressed and they're afraid of a woman and here's the thing he was afraid and he prayed to die here's here's a really interesting note. He prayed to die. He prayed that God would take his life twice. And he was one of three people that never died. It's amazing. Thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Elijah, what a great example that God has given us about something that's really going on today that's everybody thinks is secular but it's a spiritual matter that's going on God has given us hope and uh, that's where I want to finish up here if we could go to that next uh, slide the cure the cure for depression and we see it right here in the scriptures what it is the very first one is uh, rest. Did you notice when he got to the broom tree, he was wore out, completely out, and he laid down and slept. That's the first thing we need to do. If you feel like that you have depression or have some kind of symptoms of depression, chronic or not chronic, like that, you need to get more rest. You need to get rest. 
A lot of times we stay up till 12 o'clock and we're on the computer all night and all this kind of stuff and things like that. And really, we need to sacrifice that time to have a good body. You know, our body is the holy temple, uh, holy, uh, the spirit of God, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to take care of our body. So a lot of times we need more rest and we're really sacrificing our body because we want to stay up longer and have less sleep and all that. We need rest. Uh, the lack of sleep lowers your resistance to sicknesses. You'll get, you'll get sick quicker if you uh, are not resting. And, and so we see that in verse 3 and in 6 there where it said, the second one is diet. And uh, uh, this is a quote from a woman that I, I uh, got off of the internet. Uh, this is a woman, and she says this about diet. Said, I have an anxiety disorder, eating fast food, processed food, sugary drinks, etc. I'll have a panic attack once a week and spend all week miserable and overthinking everything. But by cleaning up my diet, I go weeks without pa panic attacks. I wake up feeling amazing. My mood is significantly better, and I can recover from anxiety and stress so much easier. So a good diet. Instead of doing, doing all the junk food and all the other stuff like that, can help you get out of a depressive mood uh, that you may find yourself in. So rest and diet is one. Then another one here that we have as an example from Elijah is get quiet. You know, Elijah's cave was one... Um, uh, the, in Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, this simply means we should stop striving to be, we should, uh, we should stop striving but be patient, be calm, and trust in God. Zerubbabel faced uh, the daunting task of rebuilding the temple and God reminded him that the work would be done not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. We've got to trust the spirit of God to work in our lives. Whether we, we, what we always want to do is we want to tweak it. We want to do our own thing and what God, God, you give me the big plan, then I'll tweak it down to to make it fit into my uh, thing right here. We have to be quiet. We have to let the Lord speak to us as he does that. The next one would be see life as it really is. And that's in verses 10 and 18 where it says false concepts of the facts. And a lot of times we do that. We over We overread stuff. We overread when people say things to us. We overreact to what they're saying because we're not really seeing the facts. We're, we're reading into it and seeing what we think that that means and all that. And most of the time it doesn't mean that. 
uh, but uh, you should avoid making important decisions when you feel depressed. That's one really important thing to do because you'll just go down farther into the, into the pit as, as you do that. Elijah's self-talk is repeated. I, only I, the, I are the only ones left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one here. And so many times we can get ourselves down into that where we're the only, I mean, I'm suffering, everybody else is having a great time. And why in the world would God do this to me when I'm really trying to follow him and everybody else is just doing whatever they want to and they're having a great time? And a lot of times we try to convince our own selves that, you know, that, that, that that's the way life really is, but we need to see life really as it really is and the facts of life so and then the next one would be uh, depression usually comes after some success in our lives it doesn't have to be a big success but if you had a good week or if you you know sold something say you're a salesman and you sold something or something like that what usually happens is you do, you start to depending upon yourself because I'm so good. I'm good at this, man. I can do it. I can sell 20 cars this week, you know, or I can, you know, I can clean the house in 30, 30 minutes instead of everybody else. It takes them five hours to, to do it. Or no matter what it is, we feel like we're a little better and our successes sometimes drag us down. Look what happened to Elijah. Elijah just defeated Baal and all of his prophets and the fire came down from heaven with Elijah. Well, he felt pretty good about that even though everybody else didn't care that much about that. But he thought it was. A lot of times when you come across something, a, a successful thing in your life, the very, be careful. The very next thing that comes down is going to be depression because you're depending on yourself. You're not depending on God for your things. The, and then here's a really important one and probably the most important one of all of them, looking for something to do. If you see what, you, what Elijah, he is asking Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? He asked him that twice on there when he spoke to him in a still, small voice. And you know what he said to him in, 15, in verses 15 through 17? He says, get up. I've got stuff for you to do. I've got something for you to do. If we stay inactive and we stay inside, if we stay in the bed, if we stay in the chair, if we don't ever go out, if we don't ever do anything, we're going out. In, in uh, Vietnam, I, I uh, had a good buddy, and he was a doctor. He was a, really a psychiatrist. And they had an actual thing called uh, give-up-itis. And that's what it was called, G-U-I, give-up-itis. And where they found that was in prisoners of war. They would be captured, and instead of resisting, and trying to always break out and get away from that, they would just give up. 
and it's called the give up itis and they were hundreds and hundreds of reports of POWs that got, had the get uh, the GUI uh, syndrome and they ended up committing suicide because they had nothing to live for they gave up and everything was gone away that so we have to find something to do and isn't it nice that you're part of a family here and you know there's stuff to do here you know in in the summertime you can come down here and cut grass if you want to you know if you just want to do something you know there's stuff to be done around here there's things that we can do as members of, of the church we can we can be involved in that or we can do a fellowship or we can drink a cup of coffee with a bunch of other guys, you know. Or we can play golf with a bunch of other guys. Or we can, you know, uh, come to a men's Bible study or a ladies' Bible study. There are things that we can do and we can become active again. Uh, but if we give up, you're going to have the give up-itis. And it's eventually depression will get you there. So those uh, there's one more from that, and it's surround yourselves with friends and fellowship. And that's what happened with Elijah because God told him, he said, get up and go out there and I want you to anoint two kings and then I want you to anoint uh, uh, Elijah, uh, uh, Elisha, Elisha. I want you to anoint Elisha and Begin to let him take your place because I'm about to take you out. <laughs> and he did. He took him out with a chariot. He didn't take him out with death. He took him out with a chariot. But he said, I want you to mentor Elisha and I want you to make him because he's going to be the next prophet there. So he needs your help to do that. So men, especially men, Ladies do a really good job at this. You need to be mentoring somebody. You need to start mentoring somebody. There's somebody that needs you. And they need your not only example of how to do things spiritually, but physically. I was just down uh, last year with my 15-year-old grandsons, and they didn't know how to chop with an axe. And, and so we had a little... Uh, lesson little little teaching lesson there about how to chop with an axe and and uh you know it's just amazing the things that we can do and because of that now they actually listen to me when i say something which that's pretty unusual isn't it i mean that was a good one so you know having friends and fellowship is so much uh, so important to keep you alive, to keep you going, and you have to have a purpose in life. If you don't have a purpose in life, you're going to go down into the depressive muck. The other thing was there were 7,000 prophets that hadn't bowed the knee, and yet he himself twice said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. But he wasn't. There were 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. So friends and fellowship is just so important in getting out of that rut of that chronic.
chronic depression that we can get into. And, and then the very last thing is in uh, uh, God gave Elijah a way to escape from his depression and providing him with a reliable partner, Elisha. In, in 2 Kings 3.11, it says this. It says that Elijah poured water on Elisha poured water on Elijah's hand. That's a Hebrew uh, saying that means you served him, that you helped him, that you were a constant server and someone that helped somebody else. You pour water on their hands. And so, you know, it is a way, and you know, the real question is, how can we not only get out of chronic depression or depression if we have it but how can we help someone else out of that and that's a way that it happened with that because Elisha was the man that revitalized the life of Elijah and eventually he was taken up into heaven by God himself so we all need to be Elisha's we need to pour water on the hands of somebody and serve them. So how can we do that this week? How can we encourage and minister to someone who's maybe they're really going into major depression and we might could be the answer to their prayer. And maybe we can use these seven examples of how to get out of depression, major depression, and do that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the time we have together um, to look at your word. What a great example uh, it's been uh, to see that in Elijah's life and see the way that you uh, uh, helped him through his great time of depression. And you're willing to do that for us too as we uh, seek help from you and know that you're willing to help us and will help us if we'll just take the first step for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, y'all can just remain seated and uh, y'all just sing with us as we close with this song.
I want to make an announcement uh, today for the elder body uh, about an addition uh, to our church staff. Uh, for more than two years, uh, we have been, uh, we've had a search committee uh, that has been seeking candidates for student pastor. And uh, <clears throat> when we started this search, uh, the committee wasn't flooded with a lot of resumes. Uh, it has been a very slow process. And uh, we, about a year ago, we had a very promising candidate, uh, but uh, there toward the end, uh, he uh, chose to go another direction. Um, we then unexpectedly, we received a, a resume from one of our own church members. And what's interesting, this church member he had, when we looked at his resume, he had been a youth pastor in the past. Uh, so uh, we got this brother, the search committee. Uh, we uh, met with this brother and his wife uh, for two interviews. And after that second interview, the committee recommended to the elders that here's somebody we, we want you to give serious consideration to for this position. And we did. We reviewed the resume. We listened to the committee's recommendations and then we as the elder body also interviewed uh, this uh, husband and wife uh, extensively a long time so we can say that they were pretty fully vetted uh, in, as far as this position so what I want to do today is to introduce uh, to the church body who's going to be our new student pastor and that is Southie Gilbert. Now, amen. I want to ask uh, Seth, his family, if they could come down here to the front. And uh, also elders, I'd like you all to come down as well and kind of get around them. Uh, as they're coming, uh, I guess you're asking, okay, well, when does he start? Uh, well, he's not going to be starting right away because he's, he's got a job. He's got to work, work on as far as uh, 
getting an exit strategy. So that hadn't happened yet. So that's, that's going to come. So when we know, you'll know. His primary responsibilities will be, you know, student pastor, uh, but he will be also uh, assisting Thad uh, in other areas of ministry. Um, so what we're going to do right now, uh, my brother Van Cook is going to lead in prayer for Seth and his family uh, as they begin to, this journey with us. After uh, his prayer, will be dismissed, and I would encourage you all to come by, uh, speak to Seth and Jessica, uh, and just to congratulate them, but also just assure them of your prayers uh, for them as they begin uh, this ministry. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you, Father, for uh, your perfect timing. Um, uh, the message this morning from Dean just uh, fits so well that uh, we need to be still and listen, Father, to your still small voice in all that we do. We get out there thinking we can uh, do things we can't do. Um, uh, we thought this would be just something that would be quick to find somebody to serve. But, Father God, your timing was perfect, um, and you certainly brought us the uh, right family and uh, the right team uh, in uh, Seth and uh, Jessica. Father God, we pray that your spirit would lead us in all that we do in this, that you would guide Seth as uh, he just uh, seeks to find your will and what we should do with the, the youth and the other duties that uh, he'll be assigned. And uh, for Jessica to be the perfect helpmate, which I know she already is, to him in his ministry, Father. This church would give him support, not only uh, just an encouragement, Father, in talking to him and speaking to him, but definitely in our daily prayers, Father. And uh, the same thing with Thad, Father, that we would pray that Thad and Seth would be able to come together. And, Father, that uh, they would be able to minister to us in just a better way. Father God, we thank you for your perfect will. We thank you, Father, for uh, bringing uh, Seth and Jessica to us and their family, the Gilbert family, and just... God, we pray that this church would uh, really just see the vision that you have for us. Father, be with us and be with this uh, church body as we go out this week. Help us to find somebody to encourage, somebody to uh, pour the water over their hands, Father, and encourage them and the Lord and, uh, and then all that uh, we can do to serve you. We thank you for uh, your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.